It's good to be with you. Welcome to 2019. And uh, how many of you had are glad to see 2018 in the rearview mirror? It's okay. I'm with you. See, I've learned how to keep a positive attitude in life. You know, if, if I had a bad week, I can get to the end of the week and come to church and lift my hands and praise God and say, thank God it's over. If I had a good week, I can raise my hands and say, thank God I had a good week. Either way, I'm going to give thanks to God. Well, if you had a bad year in 2018, you know, who knows, your house may have burned down or something like that. Thank God it's over. Thank God it's over. And uh, we're about to set our sights on a new year. And so, uh, Pastor Justin, don't you love him? He's, he's great. He's, I'm, listen, you know, I want you to say, I, listen, I am smarter than my face reveals. I just want you to know that. And, uh, you know, because I figured out a long time ago that I never had to be the brightest bulb in the box. I just had to find them and hire them. And, uh, and I, so I, I, I'm so blessed to have Pastor Justin uh, take over. He's going to make New Life Church a better place than it ever was. And uh, I'm excited about that. And, uh, you know, he's standing on my shoulder. I wish he'd take a hold of the ladder up above him because it's getting a little bit hard to hold him up at this point. But, you know, come on, brother. Brother, it's time to start climbing yourself. And... Um, just saying. And, no, I'm just kidding. And, uh, you know, uh, he asked me to kick the new year off uh, here and uh, close out last year and uh, last week. And this week builds on it a little bit. In the, in the 1980s, there was an iconic photograph of the moment that President Reagan invited Helen Keller into the White House. And uh, some of you may uh, have seen that, you may never have seen it, and you can look it up in Ancient History of America. And if you don't know who Helen Keller is, Helen Keller was born in the early part of the 20th century. She was born both blind and deaf in an age where there were no special services. And I want you to think about, and listen, I would encourage some of you to read her, her uh, autobiography. And she, with no, without, this is long before there were special aids and services, she learned how to communicate, both to read and to communicate. And uh, it, can you imagine the, the obstacles that she had to overcome? And the reason that I encourage you to read a story like that is because by the time you're done, you kind of will look in the mirror and go, so Jeff, what's your problem? It'll make you feel like your, your issues that you've had to overcome are really not as big as you think. And... Um, so being born blind and deaf and a woman in the early part of the 20th century, she overcame that to become a masterful communicator of life and of hope and of, of purpose. And the photograph is so interesting because she's in the White House. She's meeting President Reagan for the first time. And, you know, when you meet someone, we usually, you know, we shake hands and we welcome people and we're very gracious in that way. This is why this photograph is so powerful because... Uh, she walks up to President Reagan and the photographer snapped it at just the right moment. And she's got her hands all over his face, touching him to encounter him, to know who is this man. And she, 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 so I, I just think it's a, a fabulous photo of no matter what your obstacles, there is a way to connect with people. But one of the things that Helen Keller said in her life, and it's part of her own story, and uh, is this. Far worse than being blind is to live life without vision. Let me say that again. Far worse than being blind is to live life without vision. 
I want you to let that sink into you. Because as we begin a new year, I want us to understand what it is to have a vision from God and how to walk in that, how to receive that. Because, well, there, there are multiple reasons. I, I'm going to take you through this process. Now, the lesson that I'm teaching you this morning actually is one day of a three-day seminar. So I hope I don't keep you here all day. But it's day one of what I teach uh, church leaders and business leaders, by the way, uh, when I go to other parts of the world. And so I'm letting you in on a little insight. So pretend that you're sitting with me in Kaduna City in Nigeria. Uh, and you're surrounded by leaders from the African church, you know, several thousand of them with me, and uh, that you're just sitting in on this, because I think that it is profoundly important that we understand how do we receive and walk in vision. Because, and I'm going to tell you the, the background of why this is so significant to me. My, my formative years as, 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 a, as a boy and a young man, I, I didn't grow up in the church, didn't grow anywhere near it. I was really good at sinning, though. I was, I was a masterful sinner. Uh, I dreamed about it. As a matter of fact, I had a lousy job. I worked in factories, you know, doing menial tasks, cleanup crews, working the midnight graveyard shift. Um, and so I had a lousy job. I had a job that I hated. But what motivated me to keep working was that I kept dreaming up new ways to spend my money on sin. Some of you are not humored by this because it's too close to home, but that's okay. Um, it's okay. I'm all, I'm all good with it. I'm just, you know, one of the things that some of you don't know me, I'm very honest. I'm saved about that much, but I'm really honest. And so this is, what, this is how I live. I would sit there, I'd work at these menial jobs, you know, working, you know, through the graveyard shift, 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, and all I'd be thinking about is, well, I'm putting some money in my pocket so I can sin on a higher economic level. And I'd be thinking about the parties I was going to go to and the girls I was going to meet and all kinds of stuff that was going on. And, um, and so, uh, I, I, but, but what really formulated my life from the time I was a young boy was my involvement in, in athletics. And I spent a good deal of time in, in the athletic world all the way through from the time I was in grade school. I spent a lot of time in locker rooms and on the athletic field. Right, right through, through college, as a matter of fact, when I graduated from college and they announced my degree that I had, I, I had attained a degree in uh, theology and New Testament and pastoral studies, there was an audible gasp by my classmates because they thought I was a phys ed major. So I spent, more time, I spent more time in the gym and working out than I did in the library, you know, in, in the theological tomes of, of uh, the library, mostly because they were all down in the basement of the library and it didn't smell that good and I didn't want to spend that much time there. And so it was much more fun to play basketball until 2 a.m. in the morning. So, um, and so my, my early formation was, was all around athleticism. And one of the things that I learned about athletes at a very, very young age was people liked winners and they didn't bother with losers. And I grew up in this little town where, you know, um, you know high school athletics, that, I mean, it was everything. And there was, a, there was one restaurant in town. I mean, it wasn't a big town. We had one little restaurant. It was, a, it was a little hamburger joint. And here was the deal, that if you were doing good, okay, you got free meals, okay? If you won the game... You can get a free meal, walk in and get a free hamburger and fries or, or free breakfast, whatever you want. But if you lost, don't even show up because you couldn't buy lunch. 
I mean, it was, that's the kind of atmosphere I grew up in. So I learned very early that, that winning was very significant. And then I entered the church world. I met, gave my life to Jesus. I encountered him. And he, 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 he changed all of my motivations on the inside. I no longer wanted to live, you know, and plan and dream about sin. But I'd learned the principle of planning and dreaming. And, but now I had a new set of motivations. I, I really wanted to do something for God. And I showed up in the church, something like this. It was a little bit smaller than this. And, uh, but I showed up with the church. And, and I, this is confession. It's good for my soul. It may not be good for yours, but it's good for mine. I'm going to feel better by the end of today. So I just want you to know that. I mean, and my first instinct, and, and Gary then will tell you that this is, this is accurate. My assessment of the church was, this is like a basketball game without hoops. And you say, what are you talking about? I said, because what I was, what, people were running around, and they were, they were just happy to be sweaty and tired at the end of the day. But nobody, I couldn't figure out how we knew if we were winning. I mean, they were just happy when an event was done, and everybody was exhausted. And wasn't that great? And, but not, how do you keep score in this game? And so for me, it was like playing basketball without ever knowing if you're ahead or you're behind. And it was intensely frustrating. And I would share that frustration with people, and they would think that I was out of my mind. But I want to ask you a question. What is the grand goal and purpose of your life on planet Earth? Is it just to be tired and sweaty at the end? Far worse than being blind is to live life without vision. And here's why this is fundamentally important. This is what it says in the Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. It's a very popular verse. I told you last week I'm looking at very popular verses through a different lens. In the old King James, it says this, where there is no vision. In the new King James, it's translated as revelation. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. In King James, it says the people perish. That word for revelation is the same word that's used in 1 Samuel chapter 3, describing the times that Samuel lived in, if you know that story of, of the boy Samuel. And it says that in that day, there was, the word of the Lord was rare, and there was no common vision, vision or common revelation. In other words, there was a limitation on what heaven was unveiling. Where there is no vision, but th that phrase, where the people cast off restraint. Actually, the Hebrew word for that little phrase, cast off restraint, or as it's translated, perish, actually means this, that they drift. They just drift away. In other words, it's like setting out on a journey, but having no direction. And by the way, you can be, listen, if you set off off the Atlantic Ocean, and you're going to take a rowboat to, 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 to the shores of England, you can paddle hard, be really tired and sweaty, end up, end up on, on, on the coast of North Africa if you don't have direction. You see, that's what, that's what the Scripture is telling us, that without a revelatory view of where we're going, it's kind of like showing up at the airport and saying, I'd like an airplane ticket, please. You're excited about taking a journey, but when somebody says, where are you going? You go, it doesn't really matter. I'm just excited to get on a plane. People will come for you. 
And that's why it's been a mystery to me to work sometimes with Christian people who are so excited about Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you. I told you last week I'm a contrarian. I'm the, I'm, I'm the left-handed guy that walks up and goes, well, what are they? And nobody can tell me. When Rick Warren wrote that incredible book, The Purpose Driven Life, people were walking around, their copy of the book was all dog-eared, they'd read through it 12 times, they'd been in nine Bible studies around it, and they were singing the praises, this is the most incredible book I've ever read. And I was the contrarian that said, so what are they? And they went, what are what? And I said, well, what are they? What are they? What are what? I said, what is, what is your purpose? Oh, I don't know, but this book is so incredible. We become fascinated with the concept. But as the people of light, many people live their life as though they're walking in the fog. And I want to stir that up in you. I want you to hit your mark. Now, when I talk about vision, I want you to understand some things. that We, we live in this culture that is hyper-individualized. We tend to think in, in individualism ourselves, And our culture teaches us that. We, we have a hard time identifying with a group. But, but, but here's the reality. None of us are islands in our life. You know, when, when you know, your kids tell you in a, in a, on a bad day that, you know what, listen, it's my life. I can live it any way I want. Uh, just look at them and tell them, that's a lie. Because no one is an island. As John Donne said in his great poem, none of us are an island, for each of us is a part of the whole. You see, our lives are interwoven and interconnected. That, you know, my individual life affects, well, it affects many people. So the decisions I make do affect others. The life that you live affects others. So let me help you to understand that, that, that when we talk about, when I talk about vision, I'm not just talking about our own individual personal journey vision, but I'm also talking about how that connects to your family and how that connects to the house of God that you connect yourself to. You see, because God has a plan that he's weaving together, and God, when you, when you are joined to a local assembly, your vision is tied to this vision. There needs to be a connection point. They're not separate entities, that there's divine purpose behind that. And that's a big idea that Pastor Justin can straighten out after later on this year. But I want you to, 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 to think about this reality, that, if, there, that if, if life is lived without this revelatory picture, without vision, then the, what we're going to do is drift. Here is the reality that we can expend our lives. You can expend your life. New Life Church, we can expend our church life, our corporate life, doing many, many good things, and at the end be very tired and very sweaty, but they will not have been God's things. Did, did you hear that? And I don't know about you, but see, I've read my Bible, and here's what the Bible says. That God grants us in this life 840 months, and if by reason of grace, 960. That's 70 years and 80 years. 840 months, and if by reason of grace, 960. Now, I'll really mess with your head. I've already used up 740 months. When you start putting it in those terms you realize that the clock is running on our days. So vision. 
is essential. Or we just drift. And we'll expend our life doing many, many good things. But will it be God's things? Here's how God wants every one of us to finish our days on planet Earth. Accomplished. Finished. You know, when Jesus end, ended his life, his earthly life on planet Earth, you all know what it says. This, these were his last words. It is finished. The way we interpret that is, okay, this is my last breath. I'm done. That's not what he was saying at all. Actually, in Greek, that word says accomplished. Mission accomplished. Nobody has robbed me of life. Nothing has been left undone. I finished what I was put on planet Earth to do. Accomplished. The Apostle Paul said at the end of his days, for I have run the race that he set before me, and I have uh, there is now laid up for me the crown of righteousness. What is he saying? I know what my target was. I know what my finish line is. I've done it. Nobody's taking this away. No regrets. You and I would be sadly disappointed if when Jesus was hanging on the cross, if he had looked up to heaven and say, I sure hope I got this right. Now here's the thing that we need to understand. I'm going to try to move through this quickly because this is an entire day. And I want to rearrange your brain. I want to scramble your brain a little bit. Because I don't know about you, but I don't really like playing a game without hoops. I want to know how we keep score. I want to know that we're moving in the right direction. I don't want to drift. I want to finish. Are you with me on that? So how do we get there? Let me, first of all, I just want to give you a, a definition of understanding what is vision. If we're talking about this, it's translated revelation, it's translated vision, but what is vision? What is, what is the Bible talking about? Now, I'm going to tell you why, because most of us have been seduced by, the, by television and movies and, and stuff, and we think vision is kind of that, you know, touched by an angel moment when Monica sits on the hood of our car and a big light comes through the roof and goes, Aah! you know. And then that, that's, okay, that's our idea. And that since if, if Monica doesn't sit on your car, and, oh, it doesn't happen, then you can't receive vision. That is not true. So we need to understand it. What is vision? Here's the best definition I've been, I've been able to, I've been writing this for 40 years. So I've been working out the details to try to be as specific as I can. And so here is the best definition of biblical vision that I can give you. Biblical vision is... A revelatory picture of God's preferred future for his people. And every one of those words is significant and important. It's a revelatory picture of God's preferred future for his people. It is not a guarantee that it will happen if his people do not cooperate. But it's his preferred future. But it's a revelatory picture. And I don't, I, I see, pictures have detail. Here's what I want every one of you to do this afternoon because the Patriots aren't playing. I challenge you to look up and read every vision that's in the Scripture. And what you'll discover is that it's filled with intricate detail. When Moses had a vision of the tabernacle, God even gave him instruction of how to build the tent poles. 
It's filled with detail. The study of creation will tell you that God loves details. Microbiology is so fascinating as we study the, the, the structure of cells and mitochondria and DNA that there is this incredible woven, woven structure of detail. Why do I tell you that? Because some people, now, okay, nobody here at New Life, but over the years, people have come to me, young, young pastors, they said, pa Pastor Jeff, I've got a vision. I, want, I, I, God, I believe God wants me to, to go start a church. And I go, that's wonderful. And then, I'd, and then I'm the contrary in that I am. I'd say, well, what kind? And they go, well, what do you mean what kind? I said, well, what kind of church do you want to start? Well, I don't know. I got, I don't know. I got a vision. I said, well, they said, why, why does that matter? I've got a vision of, of, of starting a church. I said, well, what, what kind matters? They say, what do you mean? I said, well, do you want a good one or a bad one? And I never thought about that. I mean, do you, do you, do you want a noisy one or you want a really quiet and suppressed one? Do you want a happy one or a grumbling one? Do you, do you, do, do, do you want a, a gossiping one or one who knows how to hold their tongue? You want a, a, a rejoicing one or do you, you want to pray? What, what kind of church do you want? And they go, I don't know. I said, well, let me help you. I, 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 I'm sorry to burst your bubble. You do not have a vision. You have an idea, but it's not a vision. Vision is a revelatory picture that can be described. God is the ultimate communicator. He is the Word made flesh, and He communicates in great detail. You see, vision is a revelatory picture of God's preferred future for his people. We need to understand some things about vision. What, 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 what does vision do for us? I just want to clarify some things for you so that you get this. Number one is this. God doesn't want to keep it a secret. He does want you and I to discover that visionary picture. He desires for you to know rather than to keep you in the dark. It says in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search it out. And the best way I can describe that to you, I did it last week so I won't have to go into it in detail, is God loves to play hide and seek with his kids. But he likes to hide in plain sight. You see, let me help you again so that you get this because some of you are a little confused. If you're the parent that hid in places to prove how stupid and dumb your kids were, bad parent. The goal of playing hide-and-seek with your kids is not to never be discovered. It is for them to experience the great joy in finding you. God loves to play hide-and-seek with his kids, but he wants to hide in plain sight so that we can figure it out and so that we can have the joy of going, aha, I've got it. And he goes, of course you do, because I hid where you could see me. But a good parent doesn't even say that. They just let their child relish in the fact that of this grand discovery. It is the glory of God to conceal, but it's the glory of the kings. The Bible calls us a nation of kings and priests unto our God. It's our glory to unpack it. It's hide and seek. But he hides in places that we can discover if we truly search for him. That's why he puts little inklings in there that says, if you search for me, with your whole heart, you'll find me. If you get really diligent about it, you're going to discover that I hide in the same closet every time. 
He does want us to know it. That has to really get deposited on the inside of you. Number two is this. Not only does he want us to know and discover that revelatory picture. Please put number two up so I can remember what I wrote. He actually calls us to walk in it, not just discover it. Some people are just excited that they know. But he actually wants us to do it, to walk in it. How do I know that? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, 9, and 10. We know chapter, verse 8, where it says, For the, by grace you are saved, and through faith, this is not your own of yourselves, it's the gift of God. We love to tell people to memorize that. And verse 9 goes on to talk about this. And this is not of works. Here's good news. doesn't matter how shipwrecked your life is, you don't get the gift by being good enough. All right, listen, bad parenting again. You keep telling your kids, if you're naughty, you're going to get a lump of coal. Nobody is going to give their kids a lump of coal at Christmas. And you don't give them the presents because they've been good enough in the last six hours to get everything that you bought in September. You just give it because you love them, right? You, you know they've been naughty. You know that before Christmas noontime comes, they're going to be naughty again. Right? Because Johnny is going to steal Susie's Barbie and tear the head off or use it as target for his Nerf gun that you got him. I mean, bad stuff's going to happen. You give it anyway because you love him. The good news is, I don't care how much you screwed your life up, God is madly in love with you. He's been seeking you, searching for you. He wants to rescue you. He doesn't want to give it to you because you're ever good enough. You can't be. I can't be. None of us get it because we're good or we're religious. We get it because of the overflowing love of God who is the grand rescuer and says, come in. Come into my house. Come into my family. But we don't, most of us don't know verse 10 of this chapter. This is what it says, for we are his workmanship, and we're created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. He's got stuff for you and I to do. Good stuff. Now, this is, this is the kicker, which he, meaning God, prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What's that mean? It means this. God really does have a plan. You know, and all this stuff that we, happens to us, we go, why does this always happen to me? And all this random stuff, we think it's just all random, but it isn't. God is the master. Have you ever watched a craftsman work with their hands? I am absolutely captivated by, by craftsmen who use metal, and they can take raw metal and turn it into these beautiful things. I can't do that with metal. Metal scares me. See, wood, I can shape it and work it, and you know what? If, 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 if it goes bad, I can throw it in my wood stove, and it heats me up. And nobody's ever going to see metal. What do I do with, with metal that I've made a mistake with? I, I don't know how to do But it's fascinating to watch them craft. And they see what you and I can't see. Have you ever watched that, somebody? And they, they, they can do things. And you go, how did they get that from that? But that's exactly what God is doing. You and I can't see how God can get that from this. But he can. And he says, I'm shaping you. And I'm going to take everything about your life before you met me, after you met me, everything you've been through, all of the hardship, every demonic tragedy, every sinful thing, I'm going to take it and I am so good at being God. My, I'm good at being God. He says that, not me. <laughs> that I can fashion you. Because you know what? I've got stuff for you to do that I had planned before the foundation of the earth, let alone before you were conceived. And I've been waiting for this moment, and I want to unpack it to you 
so that you can walk in it. But I know what I'm fashioning you for, and it's not a mistake. I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. Because you see, I was a throwaway kid. And when the God of heaven said, I don't throw you away. Well, I want to tell you what, that's just better than peanut butter and sliced bread. The God, the God of heaven has, has stuff for me to do on planet earth. That takes away the banality of existence. You see, I'm kind of black and white on this. Either God is or he isn't. But don't be stupid and say you're an agnostic. That's the dumbest position ever. I'm just going to tell you that. Either be black or white. Agnosticism, which says, oh, I believe there's a God, but he's not knowable. That's stupid. I mean, that's the height of frustration. Either we have purpose or we do not have purpose. It is or it isn't. And if there is, and he's prepared this, and doggone it, I want in on the gig. You see it? And not only does he want us to discover it, but he also wants us to walk in it. But thirdly from this, he makes every provision and he gives us his spirit so that we can know it. I shared it with you last week, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12. And he gives us the spirit, not of this world, but of himself, his own spirit, so that we might know the things that God really given to us. The purpose of his spirit flowing in our life is that we, each one of us, if we are devoted followers of Jesus and we receive the gift of his spirit, every one of us has an inside track to the revelatory picture of God's preferred future for our lives, for our families, and for our church, and for the world, and our part in it. I don't know about you, but that makes life worth living for me. And it's not supposed to be a mystery. He gives us his spirit specifically. I'm not telling you this. The word of God is telling you this. That we might know. Not guess at. Not hope for. Not might maybe. But that we might know. Is this helping anybody or just causing confusion? I, I can, you know, when you stir things up, you don't know if you're making mud, you know, or chicken soup. You don't know what... I want you to open your Bible now to the book of Habakkuk very quickly. I'm going to try to move through this a little quicker than I did in the first service. won't guarantee that I can. After all, this is an entire day that I spend with pastors. Habakkuk. Try saying that three times fast. What a great name to give to your kid. Habakkuk. What do you call a kid that shows up on the playground? with the name Habakkuk. I don't want to hear it. I mean, it's just a... It's Hebrew. It actually means embraced by God. This is a classical portion of Scripture. But I want you to hear his words. I want you to listen very carefully to what Habakkuk says. Habakkuk was living in very confusing times for Israel. And he made a decision. And this is what he penned. I will stand upon my watch and I'll set myself on the rampart. I'll watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. And then the Lord answered me and said this, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. 
For the vision is yet for an appointed time. It's the preferred future. But, the, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come. It will not tarry. God has a time and a timing. Let me move through this very quickly so to understand why vision is so vitally important. This is what vision does for people. Number one, it brings clarity in the midst of confusion. It brings light in the midst of the fog. It brings clarity. Notice what he says. This is what the Lord says to him. Write the vision and make it as confusing and as mysterious as possible so that it sounds hyper-spiritual but people do not have a clue about what you're talking about. Is that what it says? Come on now, follow me, follow me. Write the vision and what? Make it plain. See, God doesn't want to confuse you with it. God doesn't want it to be a mystery to everybody. He said, Habakkuk, write it down. I got it finally, I got enough saliva to say it. Habakkuk. You can, you, can only, you can only pronounce Hebrew names if you've got enough saliva because it's really slurry stuff. Listen, I, I, listen, I have no prejudicial issues, trust me. It's just, I'm just saying. Make it plain. What does vision do? It gives clarity. It says, this is where we're going. Here's the picture. This is where we're going. It brings clarity in the midst of, what are we going to do? Here's what we're going to do. Why is vision essential? Because it brings clarity in the midst of confusing times. Make it plain. Number two, here's what vision does. Out of that clarity, it brings direction. It allows, listen, notice, notice what he says. He says, write the vision and make it plain so that the person who reads it can get up and run with it. It, is, it becomes directional. I now know where we're going. Here's what, here's what vision does. It allows other people to get on board and say, that's the train I'm running on. Right? I mean, when they announce your flight at the airport, okay, if you get on, listen, I, I, I booked a ticket from, from Portland, you're going to laugh at it. I booked a ticket from Portland to, to uh, London one time. And I looked at, I, I finally, I read the ticket, and it was, like, it was like 13 hours. And I said, what did they put me on? It's, it's six hours and 35 minutes to London out of Boston. I know, I've flown it enough times. And then I realized they booked me out of Portland, Oregon. Which meant I was going to have to get a train to Portland, Oregon to get my flight. That's not, that's not happening. You see, when they tell you, this is your flight, how do you know? Because it's the destination you know you want to get on board with. Let me tell you, listen, what vision does is it says, that's the plane I want to run on, and that's the plane I don't want to run on. This is why a lot of leaders are afraid to speak vision because they're afraid people are going to walk away. But it, it does the exact opposite. It allows people to engage and say, come on, baby, we're going to run that train. You see, it's so vitally important that we get, let me, let me show you this to you in the scripture. In Acts chapter 16, the apostle Paul was, he, he was trying to preach, he was trying to take the gospel of the kingdom. He was trying to bring the name of Jesus to the, to, to the non-Jewish world. And it says he was trying to preach over here, trying to preach over here, and God wouldn't let him go there. The doors were closed over there. And everything he was talking about was going east. And then one night, 
The Bible says, and then he received a vision in a dream. He sees this man from Macedonia. That was to the west. And he said, the man from Macedonia says, come and bring the gospel to us. And Paul got up the next morning. He shares it with his team. He says, this is what the Lord spoke to me last night. Here's the vision. I'm making it plain to you. And it's interesting because Luke is the writer of the book of Acts. And he switches and he says, and we concluded. What's that? The ones who heard this vision that Paul received. And we concluded. Paul didn't conclude. We did. We went. They went, hot dog. That's the train we're running on. We can get on board. Why? Because vision not only brings clarity, it sets direction. This is where we're going. You see, our family, I'm going to get, I didn't share this in the first service, but, you know, the Lord spoke to me from the very beginning about being involved in the nations. That's why being a pastor was confusing to me, because I didn't know if I was supposed to be a missionary or not. And I prayed, Darlene would tell you, I prayed and prayed and prayed. I thought, Lord, I'll leave, I'll leave it all. You just tell me where you want to go. And, and uh, I can actually take you to the spot, well, not, well, it'd be kind of hard because it was at 38,000 feet, but I was riding on a plane coming home from overseas. I was, we were over the nation of Greenland, and I was saying to the Lord, this was a long time ago, I said, Jesus, I'll just do whatever you want me to do. You want me to go back, sell everything, resign my position, I'll go to the uttermost parts of the world because I want to go where people are hungry for Jesus, and I want to I expend my life for the biggest biggest bang that I can get for the kingdom and the Lord whispered to me he says no that's not your part I said well what is my part and he said your part is to go home and build the best local church you can build that has a heartbeat for the world in it and you do your part as a people to reach the nations and I set myself on that course and I never veered well that trickled down into my family all of my children have traveled internationally all have come to me and said to me it should be required of every young life in, in America, that they would travel overseas and see how the rest of the world lives. It has traveled down, and they have a passion to touch the world in different ways, some medically, some with justice, some, but they all have a passion for people beyond the shores. See, it, it, it gives direction to those who follow you. Does that make sense to you? Write it and make it plain so those who read it may run with it. Number three, this is what vision does for us. It brings motivation. I want you to see the word. He says that the one who reads it may run. I don't know about you. Walking isn't that hard, but running takes a little motivation. And one of two things it has to be, listen, I, I spent years involved in track and field. I was a competitive athlete there myself, and um, I was a coach for many years as well. And here's what I discovered about, about things. You know, you've got to be motivated to run. You know, people come to me find out that I used to, uh, used to run. They don't walk at me, oh, I hate running. And I go, well, quit. Don't do it. I, I nobody ever told them that. I said, if you hate it, don't do it. They said, well, yeah, but what? I, I said, I love it. I love to do it. I hate swimming. If my, if my only alternative for exercise is swim, I'm going to drown. <laughs> I'm just going out. I'm going out. I'm done. Because I don't like swimming. People will say, oh, it's so hard in your joints. You just take out swimming. I hate swimming. I just hate it. I don't like it. It's boring, boring, boring. Oh, no, but you, you should take it. No, I'm never going to do it because I hate it. You understand? It takes motivation. You know, and, I, and, I, and especially when I was a sinner, I learned that I could run faster afraid than those people could run faster mad. I won't tell you how I get into those situations. That's another story. But you see, fear motivated me to make these little white legs go, baby. Do you understand? What vision does is it brings motivation to people. 
Here's what I've discovered about people. People don't mind working hard. People don't mind sacrificing. People don't mind putting their shoulder to it as long as it's going somewhere and there's progress. You want to frustrate people, just make them work for nothing. Right? I mean, come on, let's just be truthful. Every one of us have had a day where we've just busted our tail. Knuckles gotten bloody, or we've exhausted ourselves, and our back is sore. But at the end of the day, it was productive, and we go, yeah, because I conquered it. Yes, I'm bleeding, and I need to be in traction, but dadgummit, something happened today. All of us have also had those days where we've worked and toiled, and we get to the end of the day, and everything we did went wrong, and we are as frustrated. Have you, you understand what I'm talking about? See, people don't mind pushing and sacrificing if they know it's going somewhere. But if it's just mindless energy, man, oh man, people will bail. Vision brings motivation. Let me bring you the last one here on this one, and then I'll keep moving. And I'll, I, Pastor Justin, I promise to get these people out before. Okay, never mind that one. He glorifies God. Kingdom vision always glorifies God. It doesn't glorify man. You will be blessed in it, but you won't be glorified in it. Did you hear that? You'll be blessed doing it, but you won't, you won't be glorified. Here's why a lot of times people have got this all messed up when it comes to vision. Because what they do is they get an idea of what they would like to do or stuff they, they would like to see, and then they try to get God to bless it. That's backwards. Because here's what I want you to understand. Write this down if you want to. God is under no obligation to bless what he did not birth. Did you just hear that? God is under no obligation to bless what he did not birth. Look, I had a speaking engagement one time. I was sitting up on a platform, and they were introducing me. I mean, they gave me more than Pastor Justin did. I mean, they're talking about how good I am and all the great things. I've done. They're just rambling on and on. I didn't even know it was me they were talking about, really. And in the middle of this person introducing me with all this stuff that really wasn't all true, I heard the voice of Jesus. And Jesus said to me, what are you doing here? And he said it just like that. I said, what? I mean, I said it out loud. The guy freaked out that it was introducing me because he thought I was saying what to what he was saying. And he turned around and said, no, it's all true. I said, I'm not talking to you. <laughs> he was really confused then. I mean, this got to be a three-way conversation. It, went, it was just all Weirdsville. I said, I said, what? He said, Jesus, he said again, what are you doing here? I said, well, I'm about to stand up and preach on your behalf. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, did I tell you to come here? That is not what you want to hear when you're about to stand up and preach. It's pretty much like, you're on your own here, bad boy. And I'm thinking, I, I mean, I said out loud, I said, oh, no. I mean, that was even worse than this guy was rambling on about me. And then Jesus said to me, he said, he said listen, I, I, I'll be with you today. He said, but don't ever do that again. And he kind of said, you know how your mother would say that with the rhythm as she was spanking you behind? You know, don't ever do that again. It was kind of like that in staccato. So it's really hard to preach with joy when you've just been spanked by Jesus. I just want you to know that. It's just it's really hard to switch gears. But here's what I know about people. A lot of times, we're making our own plans. We're trying to devise our own vision. And then we're asking God to bless it. And we're wondering why it's, it's not going anywhere. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about 
God speaking and directing with his word and his life and his heart and his voice into your life and my life and into our life corporately that we know that we know that we know this is the voice of the Lord for us in this day and in this time. And we can run with it. And if it's really God, he'll be glorified and we will be blessed. Does that make sense to you? Come on, Jesus. I know I'm troubling somebody. It's, one, it's a gift I have. The last thing to say about, about vision on this part is this. The reality is vision takes time to receive. I want you to notice what Habakkuk says. I will stand upon my watch. I will set myself apart. And I will wait to see what he will say to me. What he's intentionally saying is this. I'm going to take as long as it takes until I know I've heard from heaven. And I, I, and I want you to move away from this idea that vision is this big cataclysmic event of touched by an angel, Monica sitting on the hood of your car. You see, we have this idea that it's an event. Listen, can I tell you that vision is both event and process. It is in the moving through. It is in the spending time as God paints the picture. And I, I, you know what? There have been very, very few things. I'm just going to be really honest to you. Very, very few things in my life where I got an immediate download where I knew every part of it. I would have to ponder it and turn on it and wait on God until he would paint that picture and put in the color. You see, as the, as the founder, that doesn't mean anything other than that, that I was young, eager, and foolish. I, I, just, I didn't think I could fail because Jesus told me to do it. I didn't know anything about starting a church, but I was full of energy. I was ready to go. And we got here, and listen, at every point, when we built the auditorium, which is now the kids' zone, that was our very first permanent auditorium. And when we built this one over here called the Student Center, that was our second auditorium. And I had more people come to me and say, why are you building buildings so big? And people are right here. And they all took longer than I wanted it to take. And when we built this auditorium, the same thing. Why are you building a place so big? And what, what nobody knows, I've never told people publicly this. I've told a few individuals, but I've never told New Life publicly. At every one of those journeys, in the middle of the night, over and over again, as we were waiting and struggling and believing and trusting God, I would, I would walk into the, every one of those unfinished auditoriums with no heat and no lights, and I'd find the biggest stepladder I could find. There was always one there because workers were working. I'd bring it up and I'd set it up where I thought the podium was going to be. And I'd climb to the top of it and I'd sit down. And I'd just sit there in the middle of the night, sometimes two and three, four hours. And I'd just wait on God. And I'd just listen for God. Notice Habakkuk said that I will wait to see what he will say to me. He didn't say I'm going to tell God what he needs to do. I'm going to wait to see what he will say to me. I'd sit there and I'd listen. And I'd watch God paint a picture. See, here's what I'm going to tell you. I, saw, I have preached to every one of you years ago because I saw you long before you came here. I saw you before you came to know Jesus Christ. I would let God deposit people onto the inside of my spirit. I'd see an auditorium full of people. I would see the things that God wanted to do, the lives he wanted to change. I'd see people who were, who were addicted and hopeless being set free by the power of God. I'd see people who were tormented by sin being set free and ready to be, you know, charge hell with a water pistol because Jesus Christ had get, called them into redemption and said they're worth something. I, would, I saw people. 
And I'd let God put that in my spirit. And it would drown out the voices of all of the naysayers and all of the negativity that said, it can't be done here. It can't be done here. Do you know God doesn't really agree with it can't be done here? God does not agree with it is what it is. He is the God of the impossible. He can do what no man can do. He can raise people from the dead. And if he hasn't got any people, he can make them out of dirt and still raise them up. God can. But we've got to let it get sink onto the inside of our spirit. That God is big enough. And I'm just going to help you to understand. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what part of your journey you are. God has still got good works prepared beforehand for you to walk in. How do I know that? Because you're still sucking air. It ain't over. He's got more for us to do. He's got it reserved in heaven waiting for us. You say, well, how do you discover vision? That's a good question. It's in your notes. I don't have time. I'll try to walk through it. It does take time. I love what Habakkuk said. He noticed, I love verse 1. This is what he said. He said, I'm going to stand there and I'm going to set myself apart. I'm going to wait on God. And I love this part because this is me. He says, and how I'm going to answer me when I'm corrected. Let me interpret for you. Basically, this is what Habakkuk said. I'm pretty sure I ain't got it. I'm pretty sure I'm not even seeing it the right way. And I'm pretty sure that when God does speak to me, yep, I'm going to be corrected. Because I don't get it. It ain't what you think. See, he's taking for granted. The living God is going to bring vision correction to my perspective on life of my own life and the life I'm living on planet earth and what I'm here for. Well, then how do you receive vision? Number one, I'm just going to tell you this straight up. You need to settle the issue about who Jesus Christ is in your life. See, there are too many people going to churches. It could be you. And you're, you've basically, you've put God on the testimony stand. And you're saying, you know, God, when you do the stuff that I want you to do, improve yourself to me, well then, you know what, then I'll go in with you. But up until then, I'm just going to hold myself a little bit in reserve. Can I tell you that God is in nobody's witness stand? And the real question is this. Have you settled the issue of who really is in the management of your life? You see, until that happens... There's no, not even any point talking about vision. Because you haven't settled the issue as to whether or not you're going to serve him. Even if you get it. Can I help you to understand that Jesus, in order to be empowered to be Savior, is declared the Lord of all. That means he needs to be Lord of you. And I know the game because I've dealt with enough people. People saying, well, I don't know if I dare to just, you know, just go whole out for Jesus because he might tell me to, I'm going to have to, you know, go to one of those places. I'm just going to tell you something. If he tells you to go to one of those places, he'll put a want to on the inside of you that it'll be the greatest adventure of your life. You see, that's why Jesus said, listen to me, Come on to me. Come, come to me. 
Every one of you who are sweating and grinding and exhausted but don't know how to play the game. That's my translation of come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. And I'll give you rest. But he didn't say, I'll just cut you free to lay around and eat bonbons. He then says, goes this, take my yoke upon you. What is a yoke? It is a tool of labor. It's to move stuff. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You get this? He said, listen, you can wear yourself out pursuing your own plans, or you can jump into the yoke with me. Guess what? We're going to partner up together, and we're going to pull this load together. But here's what you're going to find out, that when you get linked up to me, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light, and there, and there, and there, and only there, and nowhere else there will you find rest for your soul. Can I help you? People ask me that, well, how do you find peace? I'm going to tell you how to find peace. You find peace when you are centered in the will of God. And war can be all around you. And you can be at peace because you are where God has you on planet Earth. We are still waiting for all of our circumstances. We're so, you know, I didn't say this in the first service. I just got to get it out of here. Everybody keeps saying, waiting for Jesus to calm the waters. How about you get victorious and just walk over the waves? We're all waiting for everything to get right before we do anything. Can I tell you, it's never going to get right because the world's a mess. Get a word from God. Get a vision. But that only comes when you settle the issue of the role that Jesus plays in your life. Keep moving. Give me my notes, please. Quick, 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 quick. Go faster than uh, my brain is. Like a baka, determine that you're not going to move forward without vision. You know, Habakkuk didn't put a time frame on it. He just said, I'm going to get up there on my watch, and I'm going to set myself apart. I'm not going to just spend my time in the crowd. I'm not going to run from person to person. I wonder, what does God want for my life? I'm not going to run from person to person. I'm not running from pastor to pastor. Here's what I want you to do. You know, I know Pastor, pastor Justin's phone was blown up because I told everybody to call him for an appointment last week. Don't do that. He does not know the will of God for your life. I'm just telling you that. He's a good man. He hears God. He listens to God. I trust him. He's my pastor. He doesn't know the will of God for my life. God knows the will of God for my life, and I need to go to God. But don't pull the silly game of going to Pastor Justin and then going to Pastor Tom and working your way up and down the New Life Church Hall because you didn't get the answer you wanted. Here's what I'm telling all of them to say. Go talk to Jesus before you talk to me. You've got to determine that you're just not going to move forward. You're not going to get it from someone else. It's God's plan, not Jeff's plan. Not Justin's plan. You've got to, but see, you've got to have that. Now, number three, you've got to have an expectation that God is going to speak to you. See, a lot of us have no concept that God can speak to us. That's a foreign idea. When Pastor Justin said he, he heard the Lord whisper to him this morning, that's not foreign to me, but a lot of us are going, How, what does he sound like? God. You just know when you know her that it's him. And the more you tune into that frequency, the more you'll learn to identify that it's Him. The more you ignore that frequency, the more you'll drown it out with other voices. But expect to hear. See, when you set yourself apart, you need to expect to hear from God. 
I was fasting and praying, spending time, starving myself to death, mean, grumpy, got over that, no longer was hungry, got into day seven, day eight, day nine. I was, and, and it was three o'clock in the morning. I was laying on the floor in what's now the kid's zone. This was years ago. I was laying on the floor, three o'clock in the morning, praying, pouring my heart out to God. Oh, God, I want to hear the sound of your voice. I want to know the sound of your voice. I want to know the sound of your voice. And about 18 inches above my head, I heard a voice. It goes, Jeff? And I, I, mean, I mean, it freaked me right out. I mean, and so, so, I mean, when I say freak me out, I mean, I went straight up about four feet going, ah! And then the voice behind me went, ah! It was one of the elders of New Life Church. They come through, saw the light on, walked in, and they saw me lying on the floor. They thought I passed out. They said, Jeff, and I didn't, I didn't know they'd snuck in. I thought it was Jesus. They thought I was dead. I thought it was Jesus, and I heard the voice. And I realized the problem was I wasn't expecting. Habakkuk is expecting. How do I know that? He says, so that when I am corrected, he's fully expecting, the Lord's going to download stuff to me when I come to him. Expect. Expect God. Come with expectation. And then lastly, I think it's lastly. Learn to ask yourself the right questions. You know, we've made it way too hard. Write this, write this down. You can study it. After you read every revelation in the Bible this afternoon, you can save this one for tomorrow. Deuteronomy chapter 30, beginning around verse 11 on through about verse 14. You'll find it compared to in Romans chapter 10 as well. We've made it too mystical and too hard. And, and this is what the Lord said to his people. He says, do not, listen, don't look for the commandment that I'm giving you to live by by saying it's somewhere up in heaven. We need somebody to, get, to, to, to climb there to find it. Don't say that it's over on the far side of the sea and that it's far away from you. Don't say that it's over here. Don't say that it's distant. He says, as a matter of fact, it's near you. Actually, it's with you. It's in your heart and it's in your mouth. I'm telling you the vision of God's purposes are closer than we think. It's the stuff we find ourselves talking about, and we can feel our passion rising. So pay attention to yourself. You say, when you ask the right questions, what do you mean? What makes you cry when you see ugliness and injustice in the world? What makes you weep? When you see wrong, what kind of wrong makes you angry? You say, angry? Yeah. To the point that you say, something needs to change. But I'm going to tell you this. Don't cop out by saying, somebody should do something. Because this morning is a funeral service. Somebody is dead. When you're hearing the sound of your own voice in in frustration saying somebody needs to do something. You know, one of the reasons I'm involved in the nations, particularly in Africa, is my youngest son. He's a grown man now. He's in the military. When he was a little boy, he's five years old. I came home for lunch, and he came running up to me with tears streaming down his cheeks. And he just jumped up in my arms and put his head on my shoulder and just said over and over, he says, Daddy, you have to do something. And I mean, he was angry and frustrated and hurt and broken. 
Five years, you have to do something. Because in his world, I was Superman. And I could do anything. He said, you have to do something. I said, son, what are you talking about? He said, the children, the children in Africa, you must do something. See, what, what stirs you up so that you live and find passion around a worthy cause? What, 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 what would, if you could do, take all the barriers off your life, if you could just wipe away the barriers, all the excuses of why we never do anything, and you just said, if I could do something for the kingdom of God, if I could do that for a day, that would be my best day on planet Earth. You'd be amazed how close you would be. You say, but, but, but Jeff, I can't do that. I'm just one person. Are, are you nuts? I'm a throwaway kid who grew up in foster care, whose parents tossed away, who was never supposed to be conceived on planet Earth. And if Jesus can do something with me, there's hope for you. I want you to get a hold of this. I'm not a superman. I'm nothing special. I'm flesh and blood like everybody else. But I want, I want my life to last and make an impact. Not for the posterity of humanity to talk about. Because I'm not running for that. I'm looking for the bling. You say, what? Listen, I was an old track athlete. And uh, people would ask me, why do you do what you do? Why do you, why do you run so hard? I had this coach that was able to get inside my head and motivate me. He was not harsh. He was not a slave driver. He just knew. He, he had figured out he got a hold of somebody that's as numb as an ox and that will run through wall if I can tell him that there's bling on the other end of it. And, 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 and you say, what are you talking about? So, okay, so, so, I, okay, so I had the disadvantage of being a relatively fast white kid in a really small school in northern Maine where there were other white kids who were slower than death. I mean, they're just slow. They can't run. They're just slow. We had a second baseman. I could beat him to second base running backward faster than he could get there running forward. I'm telling you, slow. And so, but he loved to push me further than I thought I could go. And so, well, I, I remember, listen, I'll never forget this. I was 16 years old. He pulled me out of school one day. He drove me down to Southern Maine in the old days of the uh, Amateur Athletic Union, the AAU New England Championships. What I didn't know was he entered me in the open category. What's that mean? I'm running against college and post-college guys. And, and so here I am, all 138 pounds of rippling muscle. And he enters me, and these guys are like Greek gods. Do you know? I mean, they're 6'2", 6'3", 225. I mean, and, and then there's me. And he entered me in, and, and I was, like I said, I was a reasonably fast white guy. And so, but I'm 16 years old. And he put me in, this is New England Championship. People that come from all over the East Coast, all the way up from New York City, and all over from Eastern Canada. I mean, and he put me in this, and he put me in a race I had never run before in my life. I had no experience in it. He entered me in the indoor 400-meter open championship. I'd never run this before in my life. 
So, but I got warmed up because my coach said that I could, and I got warmed up, and I peeled off, and they were all intimidated by the physique that they saw. <laughs> I'd already shaved a week earlier. I got ready to get down to my marks, and I realized, that, wait, I, I, my coach was wondering about where Pastor Justin is, and I went, I said, Coach, I've never run this race before. How do you do this? And he looked at me, he said, Son, don't you worry. He said, you run the first half as fast as you can and the second half as hard as you can. I said, okay, coach, here we go. And I jumped in, the gun went off, and off I went. I mean, I was gone like a rocket. I mean, I blistered those guys through the first 200 meters. I went as fast as I could. I heard, yep, you're halfway there. I heard my coach say, I said, okay, now i got to find that gear called as hard as you can. And I did. I made my little legs go just as hard as I could go. And they were trying to run me down like a herd of buffalo. But, you know, I was running scared at that point and exhausted. I rounded the last corner. The world was closing in. And it got narrower and narrower. And the last thing that I didn't remember before I passed out was that I crossed the finish line and I had the ribbon on my chest. And when I woke up, I was throwing up, lying on the infield. Just, and people were patting me on the back going, you did it, you did it, you did it. I did what? I said, they said, you won. I said, great. ceremony. And in between trips to the bathroom, I walked right up onto the top and I got the bling. The Apostle Paul said, I have run the race that is set before me. And henceforth, I have finished this course. And now there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. I don't know about you, but I'm going to run for the crown. But I want to run in the right direction. I'm not just going to run and be sweaty and tired and old. I'm going to run the race. Because I'm going to know what the course is. And to know the course, you must have vision. Because there's a crown. There's a crown. And I'm crazy. And I like bling. I want you to like bling. Because Jesus wants you to receive a crown. And at the end, you might pass out and you might throw up. But the award ceremony is coming. Stand up with me. I don't know if you get anything from that, but Pastor Justin is going to preach next week and life's <laughs> going to be wonderful. But you see, I know he's got vision. He speaks it almost every week. He doesn't know he's speaking it maybe. He says, we're going to do church like family. You know, that's a noble thought in so much dysfunction and brokenness. But it's not normal family. It's the family of God. And I'm going to tell you how that works in a group like this. See, have you ever gone to a family reunion? Do you know that you're related to a whole bunch of people that you do neither know nor like? Right? But inside that family reunion, they all have the same name and the same blood. But inside that family reunion, you got your own little clan. They're yours. That's the way it's supposed to work. This is, every Sunday morning is a family reunion. You don't have to know everybody. 
But you need your own clan, your small group, the friends that you're tight with, who will look at you and go, Jeff, you are nuts if you think that's the direction God wants you to move in. See, they love you too much to be impressed with you, but they also love you too much to let you veer off the path of God's vision for you. Does that make sense to you? See, that's how it's supposed to work. I don't know about you, but I want to take, if it takes all of 2019 to get vision for the rest of your life, take it. But expect that God will download. And here's why I know it's when it's God's vision. Because usually when, when God is downloading stuff on me, I, 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 my, first, my first response is, uh, yo, Jesus. <laughs> I think you got the wrong guy. My second one is just, how am I going to do it? See, see, here's my conversation with Jesus these days. I'll just give you a little insight. I said, Jesus, I don't even know if this is godly or not, but I, I think i got to win the Powerball. Because you've given me a half-billion-dollar vision. But I need money. <laughs> he said, what you, no, I'm not going to take an offering. Just relax. Because for me, it looks impossible. But you know, God masters in the impossible. So don't discount it. It should overwhelm you. If it's a vision from heaven, it will overwhelm you. It's like, I can't pull this off. And Jesus will agree with you. He'll go, exactly. That's why you need me. That's why you need to get yoked up with me. Because then the burden will be easy. The yoke will be light. You'll find rest for your soul. You try to do this yourself, you're going to die. Because you can't pull it off. But that's the wonderful joy of the partnership with heaven. Here's my exhortation and my encouragement to every one of you. If God has, has, has engrafted in, in, in you into New Life Church, your personal vision is not disconnected from the vision of this house. You have a part to play. And this house has a part to play in your vision. It will not and it cannot succeed if you orphan yourself. And here's what I know about churches as well, because I know this about family. I learned, listen, I was a little kid, I had this figured out. Here's the, you don't get to, you, you can't pick your relatives. You just got to learn to live with them. And when you resolve that, life gets better. It just does. It gets easier. Some of you are waiting for the perfect place. It doesn't exist on planet Earth. But here's what I know. Every one of us faces a choice of two paths. One with divine direction, and the other with drift. And that's the difference between living life all the way to the end with passion or just drifting into fatigue. I had uh, the wonderful joy of, some of you may have known, heard of a man by the name of Dr. Bill Bright, who's the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. It's one of the weird appointments of my life. Just, I had these weird things. And uh, I got a phone call one day, and I, I was invited to come have breakfast with Dr. Bill Bright. How does that happen? I, and so I went to his apartment, and Dr. Bill Bright was really in his last days on planet Earth. He was on an oxygen tank. He couldn't travel outside of his house. 
And he had breakfast with 12 of us from around America. I didn't even know he knew my name. I'd had no dealings with campus. It was the weirdest thing. And uh, so while we were there, this was the fascinating thing. Here is this man. His body is failing him. He's on oxygen to stay alive. And you know what he, had, what he did at breakfast? He laid out his vision for the next 30 years for the body of Christ. And he looked at us and his eyes were fully alive. And he said, I'm not going to be here to help make this happen. But I will be with you from heaven. And I'm expecting you to hear my word. I want to tell you what, that did something in my spirit. To encounter a man who didn't just get old and tired, but was still living in vision. I don't know about you, but I want to run my race so I can get the bling. And you know what I want? I want every one of you to be on the winner's podium with me. I want every one of you to be there. So does the Lord Jesus. That's why he rescued you. So let's pray. Lift your hands and hearts to heaven. Now, Lord, I don't know who every person's story here. I don't know every person's journey. But I know for every one of us, because life is messy, that there are obstacles and challenges that every human being has right here. But like Helen Keller this morning, we simply say, far more tragic than being blind is to live life with no vision. Father, what I know you're capable of is downloading your vision for men and women in this room, from the youngest to the oldest. You can speak to them about the days on planet Earth, what it is that you desire for them, what you have prepared for them, the good works that you prepared beforehand. You can speak to them, and it will cause their heart to sing and their spirit <laughs> Not only to come alive, but to tremble. Because it's always going to be bigger than who they are. And Father, over the next weeks and months here at New Life Church, I pray that there would be divine downloads of divine direction to our pastor, to our pastoral team, to our board of directors, to our leaders, that you would speak from heaven and we would be able to get up and run with it because we know it's the voice of God. Let that be our legacy, Father. And I thank you for every man and woman in this room that their best days on planet Earth are still in front of them. Let it be so, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Well, we love you. Welcome to 2019.